1: Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is Sunday evening. I'm your host, Keon Sobani. Joining me is my good friend, uh, Managing Editor of Managing Madrid, Tactical Dude on the site, Om Arvin. Om, how are you doing? I'm doing good.
2: Keon, how are you
1: doing? Good. We're wishing our main man, Gabe Lesra, um, a splendid weekend off because it's his bachelor weekend. Um, so enjoy it, brother. We love you very much. Wish we were with you, but we're with you in spirit. Um, and just hope you can really detach yourself from work and everything and just have fun tonight. Um, Om Arvind, things are back to utopia in Real Madrid world. Are you must be over the moon?
2: Yeah, I mean personally, I I mean I'm I'm am the same I was at the start of the season, cautiously optimistic. But that that result against Leganes has everyone like just absolutely ecstatic. I, we know how it is with this fan base. It only takes one result to completely turn the mood. And I guess I, I'm not, I'm not going to complain now because it's always good when we're all happy. I mean, I think all it takes, like, we're playing Athletic Bilbao next. That's going to be a tough game. Like, let's say we draw, which wouldn't be that surprising. The mood will completely change again. It'll be a disaster. We shouldn't have sold it all, blah, blah, blah. But for now, it's good. So I think I think we should all enjoy it. Um, especially as as writers, we should because that means more positive comments on our articles. Um, so, yeah, it's it's nice. I'm, I I'm glad that at least there is some positivity. And I think some of it is will last a little bit because there was, I think, a lot of unjustified pessimism following this window. Um, most probably before the Mariano signing, where we just didn't feel the club was moving in the right direction. That was a disaster of the window with Kovacic leaving not being able to replace Ronaldo in any capacity until Mariano came. Um, but I think we realized that it, it, the sample size is small, but I think we realized that it's not a disaster, right? Like this is still a fantastic club with really, really great players. And if if we continue in the right path, we have a chance. It's it's not all over.
1: Yeah, we'll get to Mariano at some point during this podcast because there's a lot of questions about him Um the number and the signing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think it's interesting to look at the perspectives. One, um, a lot of people feel, okay, great. It looks good. Uh, the, 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 the opponents matter. So just look at who you've been playing so far. Girona, Catafé, and Leganes. The counter argument to that is that, and as Phil Kittrell pointed this out on Twitter, uh, we lost away to Girona last season and looked terribly uncomfortable and looked overrun. We couldn't deal with anything. Uh, I, think,
2: I think the counter counter just for the Hirona point is um uh Pablo Machine was the coach last time but I think what Savio Sacristan, the new coach he's not a bad coach either so but I'm I think that would be I think that's an important distinction to make because I think Machine is one of the best coaches in La Liga
1: correct correct uh but so but also just take into the fact that something that is under under talked about Generally in La Liga is that La Liga from top to bottom every match in theory oh, is, is difficult, right? Like there's no. Hetafe,
2: Hetafe is underrated as hell. They were really good last season. Yeah, this I mean, is mean they not, had a great. It's not the same Hetafe we've been used to.
1: No, they had a great defense last season, and actually against us they were they were decently organized. Like our xGs were not that high in that game, if I remember correctly. But we had control, and that kind of will bring me to another point. But uh, Leganes knocked us out of the Copa del Rey. Like again, different coaches, sure, but um, you know. Manuel Pellegrino is no slouch, by the way. He's, he, oh, he's, he's a coach, one of the yeah. best defensive masterminds in the league, um, uh, and that is also interesting because I think he, there were a couple of things that I wasn't impressed with him doing in this game. But uh, so that I guess is the counter is that these are the games that you just need to win game in, game out, and put in put in the three points that you were just weren't doing last season, um, regardless of who was coaching and what the tactics were and stuff, because. To just do this consistently is what Barcelona have essentially been doing for years now is these grinding out every game and, and, you know, just making sure that every game is like a final. I think it's interesting, Om, is that because you we've talked in the past on this podcast about Real Madrid's ability to control games this season, and it's more about control rather than prolific chance curation and. And just kind of masking some defensive issues by just controlling the game. Uh, we, we talked about this to death. Again, you look at the XG in this game. Uh, it was 2.31 plus the two penalties. And it's good. I thought it was... Um, I, I, I had no point did I really feel threatened in this game by Leganes. And I know that's harsh, but because they had the moment from when they scored the penalty until halftime, I'd say, their defensive shape looked much better. And they actually started to kind of look okay on the counter-attack. But from, I'd say, before that, in the start of this game, and Leganis didn't really press us from the get-go and let us have the ball. And especially from halftime until the 90th minute, it was just... And again, I've said this before, but Real Madrid, once you go behind against this particular Real Madrid, it's very difficult to claw your way back because... They'll pass you to death. They will rack up possession. They will demoralize you. And they will just... And you just... They kind of smell blood. And more goals will come.
2: Yeah, I think in this game we had something like 77% possession. It's crazy. Like, I can't remember ever having a figure like that ever, like, for the past. Like, since I started watching Real Madrid. We broke
1: a record for passes. I don't know if you know that.
2: I I mean, that's insane. Like, just... 798
1: successful passes.
2: And I and i think i think yeah like the the possession statistics that kind of stuff tends to get overemphasized like when you see it plastered on your tv when pundits are talking about it like but i think it is important to discuss here at this moment because i think it represents a change in the style and i i think that relates also to ronaldo leaving not that i think that we'd get less possession if if ronaldo was here i think it's more i think with ronaldo gone the fact that we control games is now more important because, if you look, you know again small sample size, but our XG hasn't been out of this world. And even under Zidane, even when things weren't going well, when our finishing was terrible at the beginning of the season, we were still racking up huge amounts of chances every game. But but the game was more chaotic, and we would concede more chances to the opponents. And a large part of the reason why we relied on outscoring opponents was because Ronaldo was there. The guy's a prolific. Shot creator, you know his ability to create create for others decreased over time, but his ability to create shots for himself has stayed the same. Whether that's with the ball at his feet or as as we saw later in his career, off the ball movement, and we don't have that anymore. I mean, I think Bale, Benzema are, are very good in this aspect, but Ronaldo's is the greatest of all time when it comes to that, no question in my mind. So that is a huge thing you're losing, and that means we're going to get a lot less shots per game. So when you are going to have less chances, and which probably also means less high quality chances, at least a couple of them, it's probably a better idea, or it, it's it suits you well to, to to absolutely dominate the game and dominate the ball and be more patient and and pick your moments for when you get a shot, because that limits the ability for your opponent to create while you're shot numbers also decrease. So it it kind of all balances out in the end and I think especially because I don't think the whole the tactical philosophy and everything has been completely ironed out which is to be expected. I don't even think 10 games in it will really be completely ironed out. Having just being able to control games and and being able to figure things out when we slow things down that is extremely valuable and that is why I think we've picked up the victories that we have so far.
1: Well Your point about Ronaldo's, I guess, shot volume is interesting because you do essentially lose that. And I think to me, again, um, it's about being more efficient. If you don't have someone prolific like Ronaldo anymore, and Lopetegui has talked about this in the past, is that you have to be better defensively and you have to make sure the chances you get are very good and you have to be efficient when you take them and by kind of securing the defensive scheme then you may not need as many goals um, as if um, you know if, if your defense was kind of leaking goals it's no longer a, it's no longer a matter of just outscoring your opponent like Cleveland Cavaliers style it's it's just a matter of actually zipping up and and taking your chances and until now in the very small sample size we have we've outperformed our XG we've literally average 3 million percent possession and I'd say apart from the first half in Girona our defense has looked fine just by virtue of good positioning um I mean that that's pretty accurate right I, I think I think there are things we will nitpick and I'm not saying it's perfect I'm not saying there at there will be times where there will be implosion I'm sure but um, and, and keep in mind, like, I I don't think we've actually had a test yet where an opponent will press us very well. Girona did in the first half and we looked uncomfortable. Um, there will be other moments where, for example, certain teams will just really psychologically be unable to deal with Real Madrid controlling the, the tempo the way they have been. There are teams who just have zero, zero um desire to have the ball at times and they won't get rattled at all if they don't see it for like 100% of the game and that's Atletico Madrid and so for them to break Atletico psychology psychologically by keeping the ball it's it's almost impossible they don't care so there are tests that are going to be coming you know um, which will be interesting to see how Lopetegui reacts to that and I think it's going to be uber important to to score first, I know that sounds kind of lame and cliche, but that's that's going to be a thing that we're going to need to do, I think, um, against teams like that. Um, so, having said that, what are the things that you think that this team does need to improve on?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because that was what I wanted to go into. So, one, I have two things, and I think I think they're they they they're connected somewhat. So the first would I th- I think be, again, it's really early, so this could be, you know, don't hold me to this, this could be something that ends up not being an issue, but I think verticality in possession is perhaps something that we might struggle with if it's it's somewhat late in the game, we're tied or we're down a goal, and we need to pick up the pace and we need to get into the final third quicker, because like we said, our game plan is to control games and essentially just win games through sheer control and be- through the of our passes and the, and the amount of time we have on the ball, eventually chances will appear and we, we find them we but to be able to then force the issue requires that level of verticality, right? Like I'm not saying long balls and just box. I'm saying you pick up position, you play this dagger ball through like two two lines of defense into someone in the attacking um, in the attacking third and that sparks an attack instantly. And I think right now we're built really well for those sideways, horizontal passes and those switches of plays to move up the field in a very indirect manner. And I and I'm I wouldn't say I'm concerned, but I'm wondering how we would be able to just flick the switch and become more vertical. I think we have the tools. You know, you have Benzema, Asensio, Bale, all very comfortable dropping deep and offering options there, but. It is something I would also like to see more in game in control, right? Like, um, in the in the in the Hetafe game, um, when we didn't have that, that many chances, I perhaps would have liked to see Kroos, who is very very good at firing vertical passes, be given more options that way, and you know there weren't that many. And then the second point would I think, I actually liked what I saw from Casemiro and and how he was used. Used, and I think he's been used the best way he has been so far. I, I, To be frank, I didn't really like him at all under Lopetegui's system in the past couple of games, but I thought this one was quite nice because almost every other game, Lopetegui has been playing him in a different way, trying to figure out how he can get Casemiro to work in his system. And, and this time, he did something that we haven't seen from Casemiro like in three years. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm not even joking. I mean, like, because... As soon as Zidane like essentially took over and like Benítez didn't really have great attacking structure but when when Zidane took over Casemiro was almost instantly like removed from possession placed higher up the pitch in a number 10 when we were building from the back. And under Lopetegui for the first time in a very long time Casemiro was the deepest midfielder and he stayed as the deepest midfielder for the entire game. So Casemiro was a lot more involved in build-up than he than 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 we're used to seeing. I mean, most of his passes were still just very quickly off to Kroos or Modric. There weren't a lot of deep progressions, but he was involved in building from the back a lot. Kroos and Modric were not, you know, in, encroaching in his space. They stayed wider. They stayed in the half spaces. They waited for Casemiro to find them. And for a team that didn't press, like Leganés didn't press us really that much throughout the game. I think uh, if you were to look. Their passes, the passes allowed for defensive action was 29.11. So we, we played 29.11 passes before they made a successful defensive action. So that is representative of a pretty much non-existent pressing for, for for most of the time. So it was comfortable. It, it, it gave us a nice structure. I think it made us a little flat to have Casimir there because Kroos Modric was still coming deep. That's an easy workaround, right? Because then, thens one, two of the wingers of the striker can just come a little deeper, and it helps us progress. Structurally, having Casemiro there and, and forcing him to take responsibility and that phase of possession helps our structure a lot. Obviously, the issue is what if Leganez had targeted Casemiro and used because. A lot of times, right, like when Casimir receives the ball there, that's a pressing trigger for the team to, to move up the pitch and swarm around him. And we've seen multiple times he's lost the ball next to the box and it's dangerous. The next, like the issue is, okay, if that's the best for us structurally, what if teams press? Then what do we do then? Then does Casimir yeah. get pushed high out of the way? And that's an issue that needs to be solved. And I, I'm very interested, like I've been saying, I'm very interested to see how Lopetegi tackles that. But for the, for the moment... I'm pleased with what I saw from Casimir and how he was used by Lopetegui.
1: Yeah, th- this question is very interesting. And so, by the way, back to that point, I think um, I was looking down. Uh, I was at this game, and I, and I would—I ju- literally would just look, and I was—I had to pinch myself because Casimiro was actually playing as an anchor and not as a false nine. And <laughs> when you look at the shape, he was pretty well always behind Kroos and Modric. I think Kroos played a little bit deeper than Modric and I think and the way it unfolded on it almost looked like a double pivot um, mm-hmm. because that, and that, that was on one of my other notes. Modric in this scheme, although his return in this game wasn't necessarily eventful, it was generally quiet uh, on a stat sheet anyway, I thought it was good and I think what we'll see one of the biggest benefits in this scheme is that Modric looks free to because he no longer has to be running around trying to plug holes and 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 cover for the right back and essentially be a martyr in in a Zidane mm. scheme where he essentially was playing right back um because then you have Bale and Carvajal on the right flank and Carvajal by the way had a good game and and pretty much locked down Casemiro and Kroos to play but deeper Mordiç can kind of pull strings as a as a 10 of sorts in that role but i think um, back to the Casemiro point, it's interesting because you you mentioned what if they pressed him, um, and they didn't have to press him on like two occasions in my notes where he just gave the ball anyway without being pressed. Um, one of the one of the times, the third time he did give it away um, when he he was being pressed um, when, when he got the ball against Girona. Girona. Press a, a lot in the first half, but in the second half, even when they weren't pressing, Casemiro did also give the ball away a couple times. And also in this game, though, there were examples in the second half where he did a good job counter-pressing. So, oh to, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was
2: that was a notable thing.
1: To your to your question is um, what happens it, when a team does this, and possibly if a solution is to um, kind of just go with Kroos back there and with Modric and Isco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, or Marcos Llorente, who I still have faith.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I don't see that in a big game. Do you?
2: Mm-hmm. I don't see it.
1: Yeah. So I. So if let's say Kroos, Modric, and Isco, and then the question is, does Kroos jogging back as an anchor hurt us at all? There's all um, these questions and dominoes, and you know, and then mm-hmm. so you're you're really hoping you just just control the game completely with that, and and Modric and Isco can really help on the, in defensive transition. There's a lot of interesting questions in the big game because the way Benzema's playing, the way Asensio is playing, the way Bale is playing, the way Isco performed off the bench yesterday, it does, right at this moment in a very early stage, which again, very small sample size, we have no idea, I'm not saying one thing or another, but in this very early stage, it really feels like Casemiro does seem like an odd man out in the big game because... Your other option is to bench Isco, which I'm not sure he does in the big game. He will in a game like this as a rotational piece and we will see rotations. But I, I'm very curious, I'm intrigued about what Lopetegui does in a big game.
2: Yeah, so I have something to say about that point, And then I have another thing I want to see improved. So this is why I think it's necessary to... I mean, I don't know what the issue is with Marcos Urente and Lopete. I mean, there were rumors that he wasn't impressed with training. That is something that we are never going to be able to know about. Like we don't go to training, we're, we don't see how what his attitude, his work rate is like. All I know is, is what I saw at Alaves was a very solid, fundamentally solid defensive midfielder. Like. Obviously, Casemiro is superior defensively because the only other comparable defensive talent is N'Golo Kante. But not like putting Kroos at defensive Well, Kroos just maybe isn't going to track back on the counterattack. Llorente is a hard worker. He's extremely sound positioning. I mean, as his defensive qualities are the strongest part of his game. That That is what he's extremely good at. He, he will not be a liability there. You will not see him exposed as a defensive midfielder um so and the advantage is, is perhaps he's not a world-class you know defender he's only very good um but the advantage is he's a lot more press resistant than Casemiro and when he though he isn't perhaps like a cross type vertical passer he is a willing ball progressor and he very much suits the side to side ball progression of 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 Lopetegui so to me, it is imperative, especially with Kovacic gone, who was the go-to defensive midfielder guy when we didn't want to play Casemiro, we have to, we have to mold him, we have to grow him, we have to give him time somehow because then we don't really have the greatest alternative. I'm, I personally think un, in a Lopetegui system, Kroos is good 95% of the time, but I think Llorente would be good 100% of the time. So why can't, can't we give him a shot why can't we why can't we help him grow why can't we give him game time because he is a great alternative i don't think he displaces casemiro anytime soon but he certainly should be the number one backup option and if we're not going to do that i just think we're we're not developing a, a a good resource that that provides us with different tactical options and i think it's a mistake but then again i i don't see what happens in training so maybe there's just something there that i'm missing completely and then to the point about other things we can improve. Well, one thing I noticed in the game, especially in the first half, and it's sort of been a theme so far, is the issue of left-sided bias when we're attacking. I I thought it would be better once Ronaldo left, but it's still the same because all the attackers we have just really enjoy the left side, except for maybe Lucas Vazquez. So whether that's El Asensio, Benzema... Bale. If you look at all their heat... Yeah, if you... If you if you look at all their heat maps, even Bale spent a ton of time on the left. And I think in the first half, something I noticed was Bale and Asensio being on that left-hand side, either yeah. in the half space or on the wing, a lot, while Benzema was in the center, not moving really to the right. And that meant that all of our all of our ball progression into the final third went through the left, and Leganes did didn't have to pay attention to a switch or anything like that. I'd maybe like to see a bit more structure in the attacking with with our with our attacking trio. Um, but I don't know, maybe Lopetegui kind of likes that fluidity. Having a narrower you know, formation like that is better for counter-pressing sometimes. We'll see how it develops, but I think that hurt us in the first half and then the second half and got more balanced, and I don't think it was coincidental that we looked a lot better.
1: Well, we did have, um, like, I guess one of the benefits of having kind of a left side heavy, not and not necessarily the left specifically, but just one of the benefits was all of a sudden, Carvajal on the right-hand side by himself on the shoulder mm. of the defensive line. Ramos hits him with a diagonal ball. He's gone, and and we we scored from that right. That was the bail opening goal. Um, yeah. So I guess when everyone's on the left, you need, all it takes is one player on the opposite flank for the whole defense to collapse. If you if you hit the right ball, um, mm. you kind of see a, a a version of that which is actually really deadly with Messi and Alba and Barsa in Barca, where. Um, it's it's almost impossible to defend that because the 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 cutting run Albar Carvajal gets on it gets a touch on it, they can either square pass square passes someone else or actually head it on goal. It's hard to defend. So I but I think um your point about Marcos yeah, I mean everybody knows how much I love that guy. But I think and he's been in the squad I think in both the last two games. He wasn't in the opening squad against um, I think I guess his issue is that and, and again a real thing that maybe a myth about this squad is that we don't have depth but we really do even with Kovacic gone and if you look at the subs yesterday because Marcos Llorente is never going to start over Casemiro although to me he is the prototypical person for this Lopetegui scheme because he can read the game he has like that Busquets player comp to him where he can read the read the passing lanes, distribute quickly, needs to work on a bit of his vertical stuff, but I think that'll come and he's generally good at distributing the ball. But I think his problem is that he's not going to start over Casemiro or Cruz. And with Lopetegui's subs, like Isco came in yesterday, no-brainer. Lucas Vazquez, I don't, you know, Lucas Vazquez is always going to be a good sub, um, whether you need a goal or whether you need to defend a goal. And Dani Sabayos brings you the control that Lopetegui would want to close the game with. So I think that's Yurante's issue right now. It's just that, like I, I, I can justify Yurante starting, but I can also justify everyone else who was on the pitch over him. Do you know what I mean?
2: Oh sure, sure. I mean, I mean, maybe I was, maybe I was going too far because again, I'm kind of relying on rumors. <clears throat> who even knows that true? But I, impression I've gotten again, very small sample size, so I could my my assessments here could be illogical. Um, but it, I'm getting the sense that Lopetegui doesn't really trust Urente. Um Maybe maybe there, I, I'm just not speaking on enough information, and I should just like keep quiet and just wait and see, um, because I'm not going to really know anyway. But that's there's just that feeling I get, and if it is true, it's just it bothers me a little bit, because I, I really do think this guy can provide us with, with with something that Casemiro doesn't provide us without compromising our defensive stability. I mean, because that's the main issue, right? Like, if you're putting Kroos or Kitsch there, you can you can successfully and convincingly argue that okay, they're a lot better against presses. Our progression gets a lot better, but can they stop counterattacks? or can they can they plug gaps in the midfield the way Casemiro can? There's no like I I couldn't argue that. But Llorente, I don't think it's at the level of Casimir, but again, no one's at the level except Kante, but Yorenté is not a liability there. He will, he will stop that 99% of the time.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: and that's my, that's my issue. But then again, like I said, I could be wrong, and I certainly hope that I'm just making a lot of this stuff up, like all the worries.
1: Well, well we, I guess we don't know, but I think um, uh, all it takes is for one or two games for Yorente to, I guess, blow our minds. And that's kind of all it takes to get in the team. We, like, we've seen plenty of examples in the past of players who impressed one game and then two games. And all of a sudden, it's just like a no-brainer that this guy needs to play more. So like if Yorente mm-hmm. gives us a couple of those in, in his reap opportunities, then he's 23. Casemiro is 26 now. Casemiro wasn't until he was, what, 24 where he started to actually play a role with us. I guess there's time. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, like no one wants your to succeed as much as I do. So I hope, I hope, I hope what you're saying is, is um, I guess ov- uh, overthought about because I think mm-hmm. he's, we all know how talented he is. Are there anything, any other things that you wanted to discuss about this game before we move to questions?
2: I mean, I'm just mm, no. I guess this this is going to be asked in any questions anyway I don't have anything to say
1: well I think we we both agree Benzema maybe we can talk about was Bale. What I was gonna... yeah Benzema we have I wasn't questions talk about, about
2: Benzema.
1: Yeah, yeah Benzema we have questions but we'll save it uh Bale any notes on him
2: another another impressive performance I don't think it was as good as the last game but he was good he he scored the opening goal I mean it's like we said he 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 understands the responsibility placed on his shoulders he's embraced it um and he he's our best attacker um i I just pray I just pray that he stays fit because I really do believe that with Bale leading this team we we have a very strong shot at winning la liga um yeah and it, it depends on his injury so if but I really do think like thirty. Allega goals is not out of
1: question if he stays fit. There was one sequence where there was a counter attack in the second half, and Real Madrid were already in Leganés's third, and Benzema had the ball on the flank, and I'm just like, oh great, this is a great opportunity for Bale, and um, and then I realize Bale is not even in the attack, like at all, and I and I look back to see where he was, and he's in the defensive third, and he starts running, and. Within seconds, he's the one who gets on the ball. Like, oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and Kroos played a through ball to him, and his speed is ridiculous. Like that's the kind of athleticism and speed that that you're just like, okay, he looks really healthy, and that that is encouraging. Um, Do you
2: remember last season when people were saying that he wasn't as fast as he used to be, and that his pace was yeah. gone off like literally nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm glad that that turned out to not be true.
1: Yeah. Uh Marcelo I guess is one person like defensively has not been great this year until now Um he wasn't good against Girona defensively there were a couple times um, especially in the first half in this game where he he kind of actually just got ripped apart with kind of he had someone in front of him and had all the time in the world to close them and he just couldn't and he got dribbled past and they got across him. but offensively like just his passing man is just so dangerous yep. like every I don't even know how else to put it he's offensively he's a freak that's
2: that's that's what i think we don't emphasize enough about Marcella we we all talk about his dribbling his offensive like production and then we also talk about defensive weaknesses but this is this is coming from watching a, a lot of Guardiola over the past couple of years watching the evolving role of the fullback and something that like that hasn't been mentioned enough is how it just isn't enough for fullback be pseudo wingers they also have to be central midfielders as well especially with guardiola using inverted fullbacks i mean i don't know if you're watching city games but if, if that kind of stuff interests you I, I urge you to watch because he's doing all kinds of funky things with fullbacks his fullbacks have to be central midfielders and they have to another second they have to burst down the the, the overlap and be 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 an attacking fullback again and i think if Marcelo played in that kind of system he could do all of those roles that's how good he is and his contribution in build-up is not something we appreciate enough because his passing range, his passing ability, and his decision-making when when passing the ball into the attacking third is second to none from his position, in my opinion. And that is extremely valuable, right? Because you usually consider build-up happening from the center. You have central figures, you have the center backs, and you have the central midfielders. But imagine how valuable it is to have someone who picks up the ball on the left and isn't just content to pass it back or just dribbled on the flank. He looks up, and he can hit vertical dagger, daggers from the diagonal into an attacker, or he can play a switch ball on the volley towards Carvajal on the other side. That, that's ridiculous, and it adds a total another dimension to our attack, and it adds different angles through which we can penetrate opposition defenses. And Marcelo's been doing this for a long time, and I think we, we've seen tons of it already this season because of how much of the ball we have and that's just something to watch out for as as it goes on because Marcelo is entering that age where soon he's going to be post-prime and, and we should really appreciate watching players like this
1: um we'll take some questions on patreon so if you're listening to this you probably already know we have a patreon page where you can get all kinds of different awards you can get access to uh at least two extra shows per week we We have one episode per week on Tuesdays where we keep track of the players on loan and the list has grown now. We have Andre Lunin. We have Odegaard. We have uh, Borja Mayoral is the latest one. Ashraf Hakimi. Oscar Rodriguez. Who else? Um, Kovacic. Anyone else on? Is that it? It's a long Uh, list. Oh, Raul De Tomas, I guess we still own. So we do a weekly segment where we record... Uh, a podcast to update you on all them as well as uh, we bring on Sam Sharp to update you guys on Castilla. So that's a bonus show we do. Every Wednesday, we do a bonus show. So if there's a Champions League Copa del Rey game or a mailbag, that also goes up on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. So if you want A, access to those shows and B, get rewards like guaranteed responses to your questions, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Please consider supporting uh, our show. So the first question is from Daniel Smith. He says, Kion, I saw you attended the Castilla game. Did you see uh, Taki beat, bite Vinicius Jr.? What was the reaction like in the stands? Did you see <laughs> this bite, by the way?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. First thing, woke up on on Twitter. Yeah, or, it was nearly I my laptop. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And thoughts?
2: I mean, I don't know. The picture was kind of inconclusive. It certainly looked like he was trying to to bite him, but. I don't know. I didn't see the video. Oh, the
1: video is clear. He actually goes in like a lion and actually tries that, to bite, take is, flesh out of his skull. That is crazy. <laughs> um, I guess to the question of what was the reaction from where we were sitting, you couldn't really see that there was a bite, and there's no replays in that stadium. So um, this was in uh, Atletico Madrid's B stadium, by the way. It's in Mahara Honda. It's called uh, Wando- Ciudad Wando that Deportivo or something like that. de Machada Honda. And in those stands, you can't really... All we saw was that Vinicius got in a scuffle with an Atati player and there was um, kind of like something breaking out and everyone was like yelling. But I don't think anybody saw or knew that there was a bite that way because you can't really see because it was on the ground and there was players kind of crowding them. Then when I saw the video after, I was blown away i was like this is insane this like really (laughs) sam sharp put it actually worded it perfectly he said this is mental (laughs) Um, it's a crazy reaction i will say this it's interesting um that stadium um like the press zone is like really it's not even a press zone because you you show up and i'm like okay where do i sit um with my laptop and he's like just go find a seat that there's no fan sitting in i was like oh okay so i like i went and i tried to find the the chair closest to Vinicius in the corner on the left flank in the first half and he has this persona about him that I I don't want to say he's a provoker but like you know how Neymar the way he plays Mm -hmm. stylistically there is something if he's not on your team you just hate him because there's something about him that provokes you um well yeah well
2: Vinicius Vinicius has been open about the fact that he tries to emulate Neymar so that's yeah, surprise me and I listen I've, I've always generally been on the side of entertainers and tricksters because I've always thought it's kind of dumb like you're, you're literally just going to kick this person because they're that good at football like yeah, that, of course. that's idiotic to me but I, I understand why people feel that way but I think it's really cool that within his second game the opposition sees him as such a threat they have, they have to do wild shit like, like take a chunk out of his head like
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> that's that's just cool to me, um, and I think it speaks to already the fact that he has this aura. People know when he has the ball, he's going to do something amazing like that crazy Galasso he scored that, that you posted on Twitter, Keon. like that that was an insane goal.
1: Yeah, well that, so that was interesting, and maybe getting a bit off topic here to Daniel's question about the bite, but uh, so the fans were also just like on his back, because the, you know, uh, they were all the fans, and they were just trying to get in his head and stuff. One thing I thought was kind of cool, rarely in a Segunda B game do you see like good tactics from the opposition. And Atletico Madrid B were like an exception to this, where I thought like really they try to instill certain values in their youth team, like to just get them acquainted with... The, the club's philosophy and so like they, they were very organized defensively like they pressed the center backs and immediately went to the wing backs and made Real Madrid's wing backs uncomfortable and Real Madrid's full backs are actually good and that's like one of their bright spots over the past couple of years but they were struggling like really and I thought the one edge they had psychologically was just Vinicius because he had this attitude about him where he would walk on the pitch and he's like guys I, I'm just kind of too good to be here I'm going to just <laughs> do a bunch of things and and score a couple goals and and get it and he was like sticking up to athletic players he was getting in their faces I thought that really gave them a psychological edge which kind of got me excited don't get me wrong like he's raw as hell man like we I like my tweet. I think overhyped like too many people because it was just a goal in the end. It was a great goal, but his decision making needs a ton of polishing. But oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But I will like he he did try like a rainbow kick and it was it was embarrassing. And but he's clearly like he has something about him that kind of you you're definitely allowed to get excited about. And I guess that psychological factor is part of it. I did I did talk to Solari. Um, after the game, and and I, and I because he kind of disappeared in the first half. And this is my biggest takeaway from that conversation, Om, was that because I because I, I, in the first half, Vinicius was getting on a bunch of counters, and he was the highest man on the pitch, um, even higher than the striker Danny Gomez. And he was just kind of and they were getting him the ball, and he was dangerous in the counter attack on the left wing in the second half he just completely disappeared like he did not touch the ball everything was going to Castilla's right flank and he literally was so isolated and I asked Solari about it and he said look like I thought he just like put like three people on him and didn't let him get the ball and that was it I was like well should he just at least drop deeper just so he doesn't get isolated and Solari his interest his answer was interesting because he said uh no like we don't want him to defend at all like he just needs to conserve his energy for the attack. And and he he candidly said, like, Vinicius is not really here to, to do that stuff. He's literally here to just play as much as he can so that he's ready for the first team. Like, it was very, like, open about it. He was like, he's not here to, like, do defensive stuff for us. He's just there to play football and get in shape. Like, that was my takeaway from that conversation, which was interesting, but...
2: That's, that's interesting. Yeah. For reasons, one, you'd think that Getting him into that work ethic would be really good for him as a player, especially yeah.
0: because
2: Lopetegui's side likes to press. I mean, spoke about the passes allowed per defensive numbers um, against Leganés for us, five point eight seven. So we allowed five point on average, five point eight seven before we made a successful defensive action. That is, so that is represent very high press. Um, so like, I don't know, man. Like, if we wanted him to get a playing time and and we him to to really like grow like I don't see why we couldn't have kept him in Brazil and why he has to be here where like I agree. In in like in in a place where like dudes are like grown dudes are trying to like a bite out of his head.
1: Like um (laughs) (laughs) I mean No, it's true. It's true. I mean look Segunda Bay is a rough place. Like that it is it is what it is.
2: But yeah, like yeah it is interesting. I'm glad that you got an honest answer because managers can be quite evasive for good reasons, but that that was that's a very useful tidbit of info, very interesting.
1: Yeah, I got lucky because I didn't talk to them in the press conference. I actually got him in the hallway one-on-one, so I think he was a bit more candid, uh, whereas I think if we... But he is, like, actually genuinely, like, like, if Zidane was boring and political, Solari will actually kind of be a bit more open, which is nice, but... Um, Sajid Reyes has a question Um, and there's a couple questions here that have to do with Benzema so we'll chunk them together so Sajid says with Benzema's resurgence and all his haters jumping on the Benz wagon I would like you guys to elaborate on the concept of hold-up play for number nine and why this is so important for a team because I think Benzema is the best in the world in this facet of his game uh, even when his finishing was bad for the last couple seasons uh so okay yeah go ahead yeah this is different enough from this, to the other Benzema questions that we can take it go ahead
2: yeah I was gonna I, I just wanted to quickly make a distinction between hold up play and link up play because those are terms that are thrown around like they are different things right like if you think about the play that's something that strikers have traditionally been good at like you think the classic target man so Ed and Dzeko or Olivia Giroud like can take a direct into their path or perhaps like you know, really tough ball and just kind of fend defenders off, hold on to possession and wait for attackers to move off the pitch. Whereas link-up play is more about getting others actively involved and in recycling possession and, and creating things. So when Benz- Benzema is a hold-up player, but he's more about link-up play. So it, it's about like he'll much, much deeper than someone who, who, would, who would stay up near the line to hold up play. He would come deep in the midfield to help progress the ball up the pitch, and then he'll move wide a lot to help connect with players on the flank, you know, maybe rotate with, with Ronaldo, um, and, and go out to the left wing and feed crosses into him, so like, they're two, two different things, um, and I think Sajid was perhaps referring to the, the link-up one, and well, I mean, why it's important? It's important because it, it gives another and it gives another dimension to, to your entire team, right? Like, would you rather have a limited forward who only scores, or would you rather have a complete forward who does score and, and can contribute and build up that can, that can bring others into the attack, that, that can assist? And, and this was Benzema for the large majority of his career. Uh, a very respectable... I mean, he's top... Like, what, top five in the Champions League? You know, top ten, I think, in Real Madrid's history in terms of total goals. And his his creation numbers are fantastic. And I think especially when you are playing with... Uh, a prolific wide forward, it becomes absolutely essential to have a forward that, that will drop deep, willing to swap positions, willing to feed the wide attackers as their primary role. And people people kind of like to use this to talk about how selfish Ronaldo is. like Almost like an attack, right? Like, you know, Ronaldo like, ruined Benzema. But if you look at any prolific wide forward, that's always been the case. Like, the key dynamic... Um, for Liverpool last year was Firmino dropping deep and helping Salah be the main, you know, focal point of the attack, and that's why Salah scored was top scorer in the league, broke the record uh, for most goals in a Premier League season. Even Messi, when he played as a right wing under Luis Enrique, people didn't give Luis Suarez enough credit for playing a similar role to Benzema. Um, obviously, the dynamic was a bit different because Messi is uh, a prolific creator himself, but. Suarez also sacrificed a lot. Messi took the most shots on the, on that team and he still does. So that's why it's useful because if you have and, and it allows like I I, I know I'm talking a lot I'll try to I'll try to but
1: No, please go for it. It
2: it it allows you to essentially have more goals on your team because think about what most swingers provide you, right? Like you're talking like someone as good as Aiden Hazard will provide you like max 15-18 goals a season in and maybe 2022 20, in all competitions. And the striker is always if you look at all strikers, top class strikers, they all score goals. Now imagine if you could put a prolific goal scorer on the wing, maybe reduce the number of goals that your striker scores by a little bit, but still have a prolific goal scorer there. Like you just adds up, right? That's why statistically a goal scorer on the is worth more than a goal scorer in the center because it adds more goals to your team because there just aren't that many wingers who score goals. So in so many ways, a more complete forward who can link up play and bring others into the attack, who's comfortable moving wide and dropping deep, gives your team so much more. That's why for so long we've talked about what Benz does. Even when he's not scoring, even when he's not at his best, he always provides something useful. Um, And and that's simply why we said it that's why we'll continue to emphasize it. Why we will continue to look at forwards to see like, what are the comp- forwards we can buy that bring this Harry Kane perhaps brings a lot of these. qualities. So, I mean, that's why we say it's important. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have much to add to that. Keyon, I, I said a lot there. I kind of, I kind of went on and on.
1: No, that's good. I think, I, uh, I think you said everything that was important and I, I think anything I would do would probably just rehash what you said. But I mean, like, um, the term link up play, which everyone hated last year uh because Benzema wasn't scoring, <laughs> people, people fucking hated it, yeah, but they're gonna love that term this year because Benzema is scoring, and so now link up play maybe will will be less traumatic to say every week, but the thing with link up play is that you like just there are so many things um that you can do in in modern football and with your your striker these days needing to do more, and Firmino is a great example. There are, there are others like, long gone to me are like the very very traditional just poachers who really just, you know, like the, the the pure nines who can only just play as a nine. I think even even the most extreme examples, you know, in this, in this I guess this era, even like with Lewandowski um, can do more. Like I I think. And I think with Benzema, like the whole link up play is the more you have players dropping deep and more interchangeability and uh, it's more options to cut through a defensive line that is stubborn and it's less predictable because you have more movement, less stagnancy. And if you're, and don't get me wrong, like that striker should be able to score. And how many times did Benzema have a great chance last season and not take it? if he starts taking those in conjunction to just being confident and dropping deep and, you know, doing other things, like, you need to have plenty of people who can link up. It's not just him, by the way. It's not just him who needs to link up, like, and connect the dots and drop deep. Like, Asensio and Bill, in a way, connect the same way. And the more people you have who can do that, the more options and more incisiveness you'll have. And, and... That's the type of thing you'll need, especially if you're a team like Real Madrid, who is going to face a lot of low defensive blocks. You just, you can't have a nine who who can't do that stuff, you know. Um, On the same note, Anthony Lombardi says, um, let's just talk about how Benzema is leading La Liga La Liga in goals uh, with the green emoji. My question: My question is, can you highlight details in how Lopetegui's changes reinvented Benzema as his form is top quality now?
2: Okay, so it's very interesting to me because I don't think like anything has really changed at the moment. Yeah, but like have, have a really tiny sample size. Like we sometimes search for really big answers to. To, to big changes we see and I'm just I'm just gonna look at I'm just gonna look at the numbers here so um for Karim Benzema his number of shots that he took uh, let me say let me just get to it okay um the number of shots that he took per 90 minutes last season was 2.62 over the four La Liga games this season the number of shots he took per 90 minutes is 2.67. So that's no difference. But what about the quality of the shots? His his XG per 90 last season, 0.58. His XG per 90 this season, 0.61. Now, here's the difference. If you look at his expected goal total from last season, 13.97. How many goals did he actually score? Five. If you look at his expected goals this season, 1.83. He scored four goals. So... I do expect as everyone gels start creating more chances for Benzema to get more shots off, get more high quality chances simply because of the fact that the main focal point is on and other people have to step up and Benzema has to be one of those guys. But in the present moment, all that change that all that has changed is Benzema has become more confident and he's taking his chance. Yeah. And I Perhaps that's not a satisfactory answer because it's not a big reason. But if you look at the evidence, that's all that's really changed. Him and,
1: him and Bale combined for nine shots yesterday, so like that kind of uptick in, I guess, just getting to to, to create shots is is there this season? Uh, although, like you know, who knows what will what will happen once everything normalizes and the stats normalize? But Lopetegui was actually asked this question in the press conference yesterday, and he basically just said, "Don't." don't give me credit for anything that Benzema was doing differently because to be honest it's just his confidence and his him mm-hmm. stepping up and that and that's what Lopetegi said um now maybe that's just also being him humble but also like as you noted what's really that different on the pitch I like, I would say the movement from him this season is pretty much the same I guess I think in a way it does make it easier for him that the way Asensio and Bale are moving is is conducive to his play as well because, again, like this goes back to the point of zero stagnancy under Lopetegui in the off, in the final third. Nobody is ever standing around, and I, it seems to me that Bale, Asensio, and Benzema are on the same wavelength. And you watch the three, and two of them are always playing on the defensive line, and one of them is dropping, and they're in sync with which one is doing which. You mentioned Bale was on the left flank quite a bit with Asensio, and also there were times where Bale and Asensio would just swap flanks, and Benzema was dropping deeper in the middle, and and kind of just it it was very very fluid. And so I think, in in to some extent, Lopetegi is a bit humble to say that I'm you know it's not me. At the same time, he's right. I think those movements from Benzema existed last season, just fine. But it is a lot of confidence to. I mean, yeah.
2: if it, if you think about the goals that he scored, they were not they were not easy chances at all. The first one, a header, no. where he he had a defender on him, he had no like backlift, he didn't <clears> even <throat> jump. It was just pure placement, yeah. a, a really high quality finish. And then the second one was a nation near the edge of the box, and then he takes it. The angle is against him; he has to turn a little bit to be able to hit it, and he just hits it so cleanly, yeah. and it rockets into the bottom corner. Right, he's not scoring those goals last season with his confidence and form.
1: No. But it did Benzema, remind me of of goals he was scoring a few years ago.
2: Yeah. It This is Benzema deciding that and he he he, he cuz he admitted it, right? Like he admitted that he wasn't good enough and then he needed to improve. And I think the faith, if anything, what helped him in this present moment looking at the present sample size what the team did to help him was show a huge amount of faith. I mean like the Real Madrid social media accounts over the summer, every week, were posting, you know, these these videos of Benzema and like basically saying he's our guy. He's our main striker. Lopetegui never once in any press conference doubted him. Real Madrid never really looked at a striker option to replace him. So the faith that Benzema ha- ha- has been shown, I think, has, has helped restore his confidence. It's so rose last season and, you know, I, I'm i pretty on on, on believing in, in all these psychological tricks because I think players believe in a lot of this a lot and I think the club did a good job of supporting him and I think it's bearing fruit um, before there's been real systemic changes in Benzema's role.
1: Mark Rady says, is it the system or are we seeing the return of Carvajal the top form? He's been solid in defense and attack recently. Uh, also Benzema can't score goal yes thank you for reminding us of that Mark Uh, I guess we did freaking talk about Carvajal a little bit I thought I thought this was his best game in a long time yeah
2: I would agree Um, again I I'm systemic because Zidane relied on his fullbacks like more than any other coach I've seen in a very long time um in, in 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 like the traditional sense like he needs his fullbacks to get down the flank and provide attacking options. And it actually, if you were a fullback under Zidane's system, you would have enjoyed yourself a lot. I just think it's the fact that Zola in, and he has some competition now. I mean, o- Odriozola obviously hasn't played yet, but I think just even having that guy in training, yeah, you know, a very very talented young player who who wants to play, who 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 definitely did not be out of place and start a big game with us, pushing him in, you know, again, another psychological thing helps. And we've discussed this before, how, you know, the two seasons where Carvajal hasn't played particularly, at least to his standards, were the two seasons where he, he really had no competition. So I, I think that's what it is. Again, this was one game. We'll see if he keeps this up. But i optimistic for, for Carvajal's form this season.
1: Well, he... I, d- I definitely agree about the Audre Zola point, and uh defensively he was good it was his his uh run and touch from getting that Ramos diagonal pass which created the opening goal. maybe crazy i uh, uh, he uh overlooked in all this is he actually had four key passes um, him and Asensio led the team in that department, so and he I, had
2: the assist he had the assist yeah
1: to build, right? he had the assist yeah, yeah. um Question from Essa Hariri and Blake Brown, both about Mariano. So Essa says, Hey guys, I want to ask about my boy Mariano. I lost hope of him coming back when he left to Lyon. But man, it was joyful to him to see him with us again. But why did he get number seven? Was it a marketing strategy Realmdra used to learn back? Or was it a strong message from the club that number seven is theirs and no matter who wore it before they decide, who gets it next? Uh, Real Madrid with the 7 shirt is always great. Uh, and not Raul nor Ronaldo, in any any players, the club is bigger than any player, thanks. Sorry the wording was a bit weird there, I had to kind of uh, reshuffle it. But And then Blake Round also says, so I know you guys have talked about this before, but I don't like Mariano getting the 7. He will be our backup striker. That doesn't feel like someone deserving of the 7 for Real Madrid. What do you guys think if we had to wait a year to hand it out? I am fine with that. Um, So this is blown up a lot um, because Mariano got the seven. I thought, so I never really got a chance to talk to you all about the signing, but I thought I was really happy with Mariano coming back. I think it solves a lot of issues in terms of depth at that position. Uh, I definitely didn't expect him to walk in and be a starter and... That's not what I really was looking for anyway. I was just looking for someone other than Myorel to bring on and have confidence because Maior's just his goal to game ratio has been good for the last two, three years. Uh, he outperforms his expected goals and his expected goals is, is also like was fourth in League Un in terms of the quality of chances he gets to. I was really happy with the sign. I think he's a really good it was a really smart to bring him back and ideal for me because he also We send him out one year to Leon. Like, I think we all would have liked to keep him. But at the same time, if we did, we wouldn't have seen him progress like he did under Leon. So he comes back as a better player. Ideal. All of that. And then this whole number seven thing that really blew up. And um, a lot of people just think it's crazy. Who cares? It's just a number. A lot of people really felt like offended by this. And the club was disrespecting Ronaldo. Where do you stand on all this?
2: Um, so first of all, I agree with everything you said about Mariano. I I, I really like him as a player. Um, I mean, he he's he's really good at one thing, but the one thing that he's good at is very he, he's very good at, which is getting shots off in high quality situations, and then getting good shots in low situations. So I think that provides us with with, with something very useful off the bench. And if Benzema's is injured, I'm not too worried when Mariano comes in. So as to the number have an issue, I have no problem with it. Um, so a, a lot of people told me they would have preferred Essencio to have gotten it, and I'm sure the club would have wanted to do that or, or would have loved to do that. But if they didn't get it, it's probably because Essencio didn't want it. And the fact that Mariano got it tells me that this guy went and, and asked the club for it. I don't think the club brought in Mariano thinking this guy's our number seven, this guy's our Ronaldo replacement he was bought to be a backup striker. That Mariano went out of his way to ensure that he got it, and if Mariano went out of his way to ask for it, I'm totally cool with it. And it's not like the club can deny him. Then what message does it send to your player if you say no? no I'm sorry, man. Like you're not worthy of the shirt. Like you 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 can't take seven. Like that's just gonna. It, it, it's a very risky game to say that to a player, right? If if someone wants it. And they have the confidence to take that shirt. That means it's only going. To... I mean, did you guys see his presentation at the Bernabeu? Like the way he was juggling the ball. I mean, yeah. the dude, the dude was an absolute pimp. I mean, like <laughs> he was, he was, he was confident on hell, like confident as hell, bordering on like cocky, almost the way he was doing. We saw like, Dembele's presentation. I mean, fantastic play. I'm not saying this like makes you like great or anything. He was nervous, and even Ronaldo when he missed like a couple juggles, you know, he, he he wasn't really doing any tricks or anything. Mariano was doing tricks. He was juggling the ball. He was balanced on his neck. Like this guy wants the number seven shirt. He's an Academy player. Who's probably dreamed about, you know, wearing the most legendary shirt of all time. If he wants it, this, it's only going to help him. It's going to improve his self-belief, which improves the performance on the pitch. And that means that it helps the team's performance. And that's that matters at the end of the day i mean we all know this is a transitionary period and eventually the number seven shirt will be passed on to a big name signing sometimes there are periods like this alfredo Di stefano's number you know, went to some went to some random dude like and and, and that's just how it is sometimes and i it, it, there's no point in getting angry like there, there really isn't like you can you can you can just look at the positives and just move on because I think it has a lot of positives
1: yeah on on one hand um the number seven at Real Madrid has historically been um an important number with the big burden like it's just and I'm not saying that's how it should be or that's you know that's what it needs to be but that's just historically what it's been like that's it's some re- a real thing that, you know, the players, if you look at who've worn it in the past, whether it's Raul or Bucurguenio or Amancio or um, or Juanito, etc., they've all been, I think Raymond Coppa also wore it. It's, they've all been great players and legends. And and also the other thing is that they've all had to carry this embodiment in Madridismo. It's like a, being a leader on the pitch, carrying the club's values, all that. On the other hand, it's a number. And uh, what is the use of getting angry about it, like you said? I think I think all those situations that you brought up are are entirely plausible. One, Asensio didn't want it. B, Mariano asked for it. And what kind of messages is sent to him if they say, you're not worthy of this number? We have no idea what the discussions behind the scenes were. And that's, that's something that people just always fail to take into account. They think that, I, I mean, I have no idea what they think, but... They really just have no idea what the internal discussions are. There was also, I will say, um, between Butrogenio and Raul, there was like a brief... I don't even know if it lasted a full year, if it was six months, that Juan Schneider wore it like in 96 for a few months between the club gave it to Raul. And even when they gave it to Raul, they had no idea what he was going to become. He was a teenager. I mean... Isn't it kind of unfair to say Mariano was not worthy of it? Let's just wait and see. Because we had no idea Raul was going to shatter a bunch of records and become one of the greatest players in club history. Now, Mariano's 25, a bit older, fair. But, I mean, I think it's also just a bit unfair to him to just make so much noise about it. Mm -hmm. There's a point that a lot of people feel that this was intentional to, to, to kind of slap Ronaldo a bit. Do I don't think the cl- yeah. I don't
2: think the club gets anything out of that. If anything, I think the club is dreading the moment when like Ronaldo gets someone to ghostwrite a book about his career and he talks about what went down at Real Madrid because we all know Real Madrid doesn't have the best reputation about rookie legends. I mean, we couldn't even do it properly with Il- Casillas. The club doesn't want anyone to talk about this any longer than 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 it has to be done because when a when a club is when a player is with the club he, he he can't really speak his narrative but the second he leaves he's free to pretty much say he, whatever he wants um we saw pepe when he left he said some negative things about zidane he said negative things about about the fans um i think we've seen other players leave and 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 talk about how like you know the fans are harsh and that kind of thing things they would have never said um when they were with the club, unless they had a leadership position like Ramos and Ronaldo did, Real Madrid wants us to forget about this as as quickly as possible and move on to, to the next generation, and not like you know, kind of pick up the carpet and 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 reevaluate all the issues that we swept under it. So the idea that we decided just to spite him just just it just doesn't seem like a smart move. It's, it's Something that that would that would benefit Ronaldo's narrative, or 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 hurt the club by continuing that kind of like cycle of anger that some Ronaldo have fans, some Ronaldo fans have toward of the way Ronaldo is treated. So it's far fetched to me. Um, I, I I mean I don't buy it, but I mean again like who knows? We're we're just like
1: making things up. I can't wait for that Ronaldo book, by the way. <laughs> that and I also can't wait for. Zidane to publish a book sometime maybe 10 20 years from now where he basically just tells us exactly what happened this summer like absolutely where where he just actually just comes out outright and tells us I knew all this was going to happen and I just left before it's because I didn't want to deal with it
2: I mean that's what I think it was um but yeah I I I would be even more interested to see what Zidane had to say um but yeah I don't until then I think there's no use speculating about it and, and like stirring the emotions and then kind of making people angry off of nothing. There's, there's no point to that. It's
1: not logical. Shay Hatiri says Benzema can't score goal. Um, that's the subject of his, of his post. Um, I, I wonder if there's anyone new with this podcast this season who doesn't understand this inside joke, but just in case I don't (laughs) get it, this is an inside joke that we had someone who obsessively would send this to us. Um, Emails, private messages, comments, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, every, every week Benzema can't score a goal. So now it's a, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Shea says, Cristiano might have been a Ferrari, but Benz is still a great ride. I love Ray. Um, I guess this is a Ray Hudson quote. I'm not sure. Uh, Marcelo gave a poor pass to Courtois, which passed... Oh, this is separate sentence. I love Ray. Marcelo gave a poor pass to Courtois, which passed the goal line and became a corner kick. It was totally Marcello's fault, but Ray said that Kayler would not have allowed it to become. I don't a think punish.
2: he said. I don't think he said that.
1: Okay, I have no idea. I didn't I watch think, the DNP. I
2: think. I think he raised the question initially. He's like, if Kayler was there, would he? And then he quickly was like, Nah, I. Because he very clearly said at the end of of like a couple lines, I don't think Kayler would have stopped it. Um, but I, I think the point Shay is kind of trying to like say because he says afterwards, Marcello and Kayler can do no wrong. I mean, yeah, in. Ray Ray loves those two players. Like I've yeah. never seen a bigger killer in and Alas fanboy than, than than Ray Hudson. So I even I I think he was being pretty objective in that moment. But there's no doubting that like, you will defend Kaler to the depth.
1: Yeah. Um, Shay also says, "What is Ramos's role under Lopetegui? I only caught the second half on several occasions, and when we were on offense, he was positioned ahead of Kroos and Casemiro, and kind of looked like a left winger. Do you think it is something? Ulin asked him to do, or is it just one of the greatest defenders in the history having not made peace with the fact that he is not a forward? Do you have any notes on Ramos's positioning at all?
2: Uh, I don't think I like saw what what Shea is describing Ramos on the left wing when he was positioned ahead of Kroos and Casemiro. Like, I noticed that. So either, well, either one of us is right or. You know, I just didn't pay attention enough. What I will say, though, is that this is an interesting question because Ross has always been more than a defender. I don't even know if that's correct to say now because speaking about the role of full, roles of fullbacks, the, the roles of, of central defenders have evolved. They they have to be good on the ball if you play with a good team, and if you play in a possession based system, and under Lopetegui, that just becomes more and more important. You mentioned this, Keon, very early in the podcast. I mean, we were discussing, you know, the left-sided bias, and you discuss Ramos's diagonals to Carvajal. Mm-hmm. Ramos is a really, really, really good passer, and he provides us with ex- excellent ball probability from the defensive third straight into the final third, and that is going to be extremely useful for a team that that wants to progress play by switching play from side to side. Ramos can also play a wicked vertical pass. You know he can dribble his way out of pressure if 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 passes and on and he doesn't want to just lump the ball away. His role kind of expanded on from what we've seen because Ramos has always been this player, but because we'll have ball, because we're patient, because we we will look to control the game, Ramos will be, you know, a, a central midfielder position as a central midfielder, essentially.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, the the positioning on the left, I didn't see so much. I think Varane has actually probably hedged more to the right than Ramos was on the left. But I think the uh, his positioning, I think it was also, he was a bit higher than Varane. And the nature of Lopetegui pinning opponents and keeping possession in the opponent's half, Ramos is going to play higher because the defensive line will be higher. Um also, we know he does like to get up the field um I guess one thing to back this up is that he did have thirty four touches in the opponent's half, and um, oh, i think yeah oh, sorry i i mean
2: I think I know what Shay's talking about um because there were moments when Ramos like dribbled up the pitch and because he was a left center back and and when we're in possession, the center back split wide he he dribbled up the pitch to kind of. Incite um, a, a press onto him to create space behind before he releases a ball. This is a concept a lot of like tactically inclined analysts and coaches love, like the the center back driving up the pitch with the ball to provoke, you know, pressure onto him, then to create space in behind. And yeah, a couple of times when Ramos did that, obviously because Casemiro was sitting in the hole, he was behind him, and because Kroos, as you mentioned, was a little deeper to help control the game. You know Ramos would push past ahead of them, but it wasn't like his position off the ball. It was something like he was creating himself to when when he was dribbling with it.
1: Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. He had a lot of touches in the opponent's half. Um Some of those were just him coming over the halfway line to kind of play as a deep distributor, but also just also getting getting high at the pitch. Um Yeah, I I, I think that's. That's pretty accurate, like everything what you said as well. But uh, again, I think also just a byproduct of the higher that Real to play up the pitch, the higher he's going to get by default as well. Um, I guess last question: Adrian Rios, another another controversial discussion incoming. Thoughts on Ronaldo not showing up to the awards? I know players know ahead of time who's not going to be awarded and that's why Messi, Kroos and Baran didn't show up. I don't know how true that is necessarily. Um, But Adrian goes on to say, I find it strange that Ronaldo didn't show up despite winning forward of the year. I also saw that his agent, Mendes, called it shameful that Ronaldo didn't win and the Juve director also was highly critical of the award. Should Ronaldo do more to stop his agent from saying these things considering his ex-teammate won the award? Adding this to the low-key shots fired from Ronaldo and his camp, uh, example saying Juve is more of a family, I'm starting to get a bad taste from a player I consider a Madrid legend. What are your thoughts? So
2: I know I know for a fact that Messi didn't show up for one of the awards. I think it was the award like we were discussing before the podcast, Keon. Um, I mean, yeah, that's not an issue to me. Like I think I think I could be wrong, but at least with the UEFA award, like the players are told beforehand. Only um, for like the one where like was standing on the tower, he had to have been told beforehand. Um, so he decided not to show up. I, if I don't think anyone really made an issue over Messi missing it. So I don't know why it'd be an issue over the missing it. Mendes's comments, I can understand why that pissed a lot of people off. I mean, I, I mean, I don't really know how I feel about this because I think, especially with agents like Mendez, Viola, the player kind of let them control everything and they only like give them very direct order. Like I want to leave the club and do something. Otherwise it is just up the agent. You know, they've trusted like we know like Ronaldo Mendez, like he's, 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 he's his father. And so it's just up to Mendez to like, you know, talk up his player however he can. So like, I personally don't get offended by, by what Mendes said because it's his job to say whatever nonsense necessary to to continue to, to to boost his player. Whether Ronaldo could have stopped it or not, I don't know. Ronaldo could have put out a statement, but I don't know if it would have been, you know, wise to contradict his own agent. Like that's all. Like again, like how much do we know? I mean, you can take it whichever way you want to. You know, then Ronaldo saying that Juve is more of a family. I mean, I don't know if that's really a shot. Is it like? I think he's just describing just how he feels there. And and also, you have to remember, like, Ronaldo is trying to endear himself to the Juventus fans. It, it's like a quote kind of taken out of context to, like, create, like, this, like, false, like, friction. I mean, I I, I think, like, the mandate, like, I understand, like, I mean, there's a bit more to that, but the Juve is more of a family, like... I mean, so what? Like, what if Juve is more of a family, like, I... I what does that mean? Like I I don't really see how, how that's really a big deal, but this is something people have really have really talked about a lot. I've seen a lot of people completely turn on Ronaldo because of this. So I mean obviously people think a lot more of it than I do.
1: I think uh and this is not really in my nature to kind of believe these conspiracies. I feel like there is some bad blood somewhere. Because I mean, like, forget the stuff that Ronaldo said about the family and stuff. And, by the way, Real Madrid players have been kind of saying the same thing. Like, we're a, we're a, we're a big family this year, blah, blah, blah. Asensio has said it, Ramos has said it. Uh, again, I don't want to read too much of that stuff. That's, it just, you know, players will say how they feel, and, and sometimes you read too much into it. This thing about sh- not showing up, to me, and again, just the conspiracy on my end, but it just a sense I have, was, was a bit of pettiness involved. Because... Everything, the way the stories have been told, the way it's been reported, the official statements we have from, like, real statements, to me, it doesn't add up. Because on one hand, Ronaldo was on his way. There were a dozen seats re- uh, reserved for him and his entourage, as Gavin Marcotti uh, reported. And they got word of a, a, a source leaked to them that he, would, he, had, he was not going to win and Modric was going to win and UEFA and then according to Marcali they call Juve, and they don't even call UEFA directly they call Juve and and say this is a situation and you know we just kind of for a personal decision we don't want to go anymore and then Juve calls UEFA and says uh, just w- none of us are going to show up. And UVA officials, by the way, were just outside the place. Like they were, they were there. They were not even on the plane. They were, they were already there. Then they all decided not to go collectively. And then later on, the UVA CEO uh, Mark Marcotta says, um, basically that it's 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 shameful that Ronaldo didn't win. Allegri also says we were very disappointed at this decision. Mendes's comments. His sister posted a graphic on instagram shortly after comparing ronaldo and water stats and saying that it's a disgrace so all of she, that she she deleted it afterwards right so yeah but still like just, i mean she said it. like it's mm-hmm. i i think i i yeah like this is not in my nature to kind of be going through these conspiracies i i always i'm the one who's trying to just calm people down and say like, it's just nothing just sits in your head this to me feels like a little more. I don't know. I could be wrong. I really could be. I I don't know. But it just it doesn't feel. I really feel like if the, he didn't get this news, I think he would be sitting there.
2: Uh, I think that's. I think that's very possible. I mean, I I'm not denying. I think he didn't go because he knew the news. Um, like, to me that's that doesn't necessarily bother me. But I think you make some valid points with like all of the comments kind of adding up. But I mean should you really let this sully what well, Aldo did with us i mean i don't know i mean i feel like a year later like we're not going to care as much it's just in the moment this is this is very emotional modric has been a fan favorite like he's one of the few players that i don't think madridistas are largely not allowed to criticize he's beloved we felt he's been underappreciated and that this is like as much as it is an award for his achievements from last season and last year it's an award for like all he's done across his career and we're very protective of that um but i think also we always kind of knew ronaldo was was like this like he was this obsessed with being the best and winning all the personal awards which by the way
1: is what makes him so great like that's it's not necessarily a bad thing you know it's just
2: right like this is this is not like a new revelation like he he gets upset when he doesn't win, and he it it, it motivates him to, to to go out and be better next time. That this is who he's always been. Yeah. Um, I I mean I don't know if then like if this is who he's always been. If he's always known that, I don't know if this can necessarily like does it make sense to change your assessment of Aldo because of this? I don't know. Like he he's always much about these things, and he's just psychotically obsessed. He is like a Michael Jordan-type figure who's just obsessed with being the best. Um, and he's with a new team now. Like, I, And he has new teammates. I mean, this probably would have been more of an issue if he was Real Madrid and this didn't happen. But I don't know how much I want to dwell on this because, like you said, Keon, there, there maybe is something to this. Then also we might be reading too much into it. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like... This is something that I just kind of want to move on from. I don't see, sure. I don't see the point like dwelling on it unless you want to get angry about it, which I guess you can. But I think a month from now, most of us would have forgotten what happened.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, before I let you go, please plug away. Tell us about yes. your Cohen trial video.
2: Right. So, this is something that has just kind of, like, happened and we haven't really discussed it is that Real Madrid finally released Cohen Trial from his contract and he's gone back to Rio Ave, um, his boyhood club in Portugal, where he became, um, uh, uh, he, he came up and showed everyone that, like, he was a top-class young talent and, and, like, Benfica and other clubs, like, started looking into him. Um, I thought that... We should appreciate what he did for the club, because I think in his prime, in, from, from 2012 to 2014, he was one of the very best left-backs in the world. And, and there were periods when we thought that he was better than Marcelo. He was more balanced. He provided us better defensive stability. And that's not easy, because Marcelo was, has been a top-class left-back for a very long time, even at that time. And in particular, the performances that stood out were the over the two legs against Bayern Munich in 2014, in a semi-final, took us to our first final in 12 years. And Colin Shaw put in two of the best defensive performances that I've ever seen, completely locked down Artie and Robin, you know, just for one game, for two. And I don't know how many other players in World Football can say he did that. just so made a video just analyzing his performance on that. You can check that out on the site. It's in the link sets at the bottom of, of every, every article. Um, it's on my YouTube channel as well. Um, it's on our Facebook page. just check it out you know if whether whether you you watched um Madrid at the time or you didn't this guy he was one of the better left backs in in the world at the time, and I think it's important that we appreciate what what he contributed to us
1: um it was it was nice to go down that memory lane because Cohen trial like in his day he was he was great like as a two way wing back and I think one of the most underrated things we always used to have the stereotype in our head that Cohen Trau was a defensive fullback, Marcelo offensive. But Cohen Trau, like it's interesting when you watched him for Portugal during that era, he was actually very good offensively. And maybe mm-hmm. Mourinho didn't want him to attack as much, I don't know, but um he was capable. I you know, in his peak he was he was quite an enjoyable fullback and someone you'd go to war because, you know, he he really fought with the pitch, had some epic epic duels with Messi. Um I guess I went on Friday, right? Friday was a big day for us because Friday you posted that video and then I posted a big column kind of just, I was mm-hmm. waiting for the squad to get finalized before I wrote this piece because so that I, I wanted it to be finalized going in knowing exactly what we're, we're, we're you know, going in with. So I, I wrote a big column on Friday. So go back and check those pieces both out. Um, what's it? Sunday night, tonight. By the time you listen to this podcast, maybe might be Monday morning. C-Trick should have a tactical review of the Leganess game up. And Sam Sharp and Matt Wilsey and I will be back Tuesday to talk about the, the low knees. Diego and I, Chudas, Tacticus tomorrow. Um, and I, I you know there will be more columns this week, more more stuff. International break, home. I think we have a couple of weeks off. so
2: Oh, the great, lovely international yeah. break.
1: So I guess we'll have to just, um, I don't know, make do with, doing mailbags and uh, maybe you can do some more uh, some more uh, nostalgic content uh, and I guess the last thing to do is just do Patreon shout outs. so again patreon.com managing madrid is where you go to pledge one of your awards if you pledge ten dollars or more you get a specific shout out on this podcast so shout out to Sergio Monleon, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Gary Cohut, Nick DeStefani, Raghav Potluri, Bjorn Salvador, Dan Berthy, John Fernandez, Frederick Sundros, Selvin Adolfo Chamali Perez, Anas Alazawi, Sheikh Hatiri, Red Bat, Leon Stavernakis, Armin Tashi, Eric Rogers, Nick Robero, Yahya Ibrahim, Said Mahad, Vicky Cohen, Magnus Lext, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackbert, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jimmy Obade, and Daniel Smith. Thank you so much to everybody. You guys are amazing. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, you guys, just just fantastic. Warms our heart every week to read those names. Oh, Marvin, thank you so much. And hallo, Marie Hallo, Madrid.
0: Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime.